Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Post Rider's flagship podcast, Pony Express. As always, I'm your host, at Post Rider Editor-in-Chief Mike Levito, and I'm joined, also as always, by Pony Express CEO Lars Emerson. Post Rider. <laughs> Did I say Post Rider? Did I say Pony Express? Pony Express. <laughs> well, I meant Post Rider. You can just say Contributor. <laughs> You do How, more than contribute. You I, mega contribute. That's true. <laughs> um, and we're gonna hear. Uh, we're excuse me. And we're here to discuss. <laughs> I just had a big dinner. And we're here to discuss um, one of FX slash Hulu's latest miniseries. It's actually FX on Hulu. I didn't realize it was a special thing. Uh, hmm. Under the banner of heaven. Let's spend the first half hour discussing FX on Hulu and why that's special. I we should. Um, <laughs> no, let's not. Um, so, under the banner of heaven, uh, it is. It's been directed. It's uh, the episodes have been directed by a few people, including David McKenzie, Lars King, named the movie David McKenzie directed that you've also seen. Ooh, no, Hell or High Water. Oh, that makes uh, sense actually. Yes, uh, Courtney Hunt. Dustin Lance Black, Isabel Sandoval, and Thomas Schlamm, also all directed episodes. It was created and, and primarily written by Dustin Lance Black, Lars. Dustin Lance Black is an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Can you name the movie he won his Oscar for? Oh, come on. Uh, Milk, right? Yes. Yes, I actually did know that one. Good call. <laughs> um, and it stars <laughs> Andrew Garfield as Detective Jeb Pirey, uh, Sam Worthington as Lon- Ron Lafferty. I almost said Lon Rafferty. Uh, Daisy Edgar Jones as Brenda Lafferty, Denise Gao as Diana Lafferty, Wyatt Russell as Dan Lafferty, Billy Howell as Alan Lafferty, Chloe Peary as Matilda Lafferty. So what family is this about? As Robin Lafferty. It's about the Osmonds. Adelaide Clemens as Rebecca Pirey, Rory Culkin, the Forbidden Culkin brother, as Samuel Lafferty, Sandra Seacat as Josie Pirey, and Gil Birmingham as Detective Bill Tabo. Woo! Yes. So, Under the Banner of Heaven is a miniseries that is based on a book, a nonfiction book by John Krakauer, which discusses the murder of Brenda Lafferty and her, her infant daughter, Erica. They are nearly beheaded, and they are found dead in their home in small town Utah. And the show is about the investigation of the murder, and it turns out that Brenda had married into the Lafferty family, a sort of, I guess you would say, powerful and influential family in that corner of Utah. Do you think that's fair to say? I mean, they certainly portray it that way, though as the show goes on, they seem pretty siloed. Yeah. Um, and what the, so I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack the way the story is told a little bit later, but I, I would say we get like really three main stories within this story right we get the investigation into the murder we get the story of brenda marrying into this family and the conflict that ensues which obviously happened before her murder and then we also get this sort of like um survey course in the history of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints it runs through all of joseph smith and brigham young's greatest hits basically um all the important parts in their history. So we, this, um, 
We did not like both plan to watch this show and then record a podcast about it. We both happened to watch this show and then decided we should record a podcast about it. What what drew you into this show, Lars? Why why did you decide you wanted to watch it? Yeah, it was kind of fun that we both picked this up at the same time. Um, on, honestly, I think it. I assume it, we we have very similar interests in terms of like religious and political history in the United States, and. What drove me is like I I've, I've always been very fascinated by uh, Mormonism in general. It's just very you know it, it's such a I remember learning about it in like AP U.S. History and it is like a uniquely American grown religion that that came out of the 1800s and this this story of them like constantly moving west and I you know I, you know I went to school with a number of LDS families and I've known a lot of Mormon people throughout my life just growing up in the West and. It's, they're just very interesting. They're very nice people. Um, I actually really have enjoyed every Mormon I've ever met. They're very, you know, they're just great. They're they're very friendly. They're always very friendly. And, um, you know, I can't go out for beers with them, but that's okay. They're my designated drivers. <laughs> ah, the oldest joke in the book. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've also kind of become fascinated by uh, Mormons as well. I partly... I don't really know what it was. Part part of it actually, honestly, has been, like, the recent political developments in Utah, and specifically, like, Spencer Cox, who's their governor, mm. who, like every Utah governor since, I believe, like, the 1970s, is a Republican, um, but he is conservative in, in, in some ways, but also surprisingly progressive in a lot of ways, specifically when it comes to, like, trans rights. So that combined, I think, with, like, Evan McBullen's, like, political aspirations have just been, like, a very, like, interesting... It just kind of, like, sparked my interest, because it's just, like, yeah, it's a very interesting culture. It's, yeah. I feel like, really the only American culture that's really just located in one state, unless you want to count, like, Alaskan natives and Hawaiian natives. Um, and there, it's, it's, they are a group that I think, like, even people who would consider themselves, like, Christians or religious are kind of, like, sometimes suspicious of, I would say. I, I, I don't know. They just occupy an interesting place in American culture, I guess. I mean, it's fascinating, right? It's like America, America is such a new country, and there aren't a lot of religions out there that are younger than America. Right. And it, this, like, homegrown American religion that seems so geographically focused... Uh, it's in like this pioneer spirit is just so interesting to me. And yeah, like you were talking politically, um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll mention it throughout this piece, but I, while watching the show was kind of motivated to write a political piece about like Mormon votes in like the 2016 and 2020 election. And you mentioned, uh, the governor Spencer Cox and how some Mormons are much more liberal than people think it's, you know, they're actually, uh, Compared to evangelicals, which is a comparison that will often be made by Christians because Mormons are kind of Christians. Um, I, I think it, it'd be fair to say that they are. Yeah, I, I know they identify that way, um, and I think that's good enough for me. But, you know, they're, they're more educated than, than the U.S. population. Um, they are much more pro-immigration than the average, uh, you know, Christian uh, Christian right voter, 
um, you know, they supported like DACA. They were very against the Trump administration's border policies. Um, and they want like increased immigration. They're, it's, this is just so interesting to me. And, and you uncovered something that really inspired me to write this is Mormons under the age of 40 voted for Joe Biden in 2020. They're just very politically fat. I mean, like all of these big political debates we have, I don't think people realize how important this religion that makes up like 1% of the total U.S. population is. I mean, like Mitt Romney is like the most famous Mormon to ever, uh, you know, get as far as he has in politics. And Mitt Romney is like a very important politician in the 21st century. Yeah, exactly. Mormon voters may have cost Donald Trump the 2020 election. It's just very interesting. Yeah, just just really just just yeah, fascinating in that regard. Also, I mean, on like a pure sort of like art level, like I saw the trailer for the show and it reminded me of True Detective season one, and I really like True uh, Detective season one. So ah yes, <laughs> um, well, I'll have things to say about that later too. <laughs> yeah, um, I, and I guess sort of like you can we can keep this part short just because obviously we'll unpack this idea as we move on. But um, did the show? I mean, obviously did not delve into like voter demographics in Utah, but yeah, did the show? deliver for you did you get what you wanted out of it were you satisfied we'll dive much much deeper into this i think that this show really like really succeeds despite its best efforts for me Mm -hmm. is there are a lot of things i really dislike about this show um and i think there's actually a very poor delivery in so many parts of this show and i went into it not really expecting to get a, a refresher on lds history which I thought was great. I was like, oh, I'm so excited for this. And then I think that is one of the things that falls the most confusing and the most flat. So I'll say I think the show succeeds, but it has to push past itself to do so. Yeah, so let's talk about sort of the LDS history and how it's used in the show. So it's funny because I guess you would say the primary storyline of the show takes place really only... Well, part of the problem is I don't really know, actually know how long it's supposed to take place over. Like This, the timing is a mess in this yeah. show. It really bothers me, yeah. actually. And part of that is because like, the scope of the show is huge because you have, like we said, you have um, Jeb Pyrie, played by Andrew Garfield, interrogating suspects in this murder. And they talk about... And they're all members of the Lafferty family. And, or 99% of them are. And they talk about their family history and kind of how um, the marriage of the youngest son, Alan, to this woman named Brenda was sort of like this big disruption within their family because Brenda is not from Utah. She is from Idaho, and she, is, she comes from like a more progressive family, basically, I would say, um, as far as Mormons go. Um, and, and she basically kind of challenges the, I mean, basically patriarchy within the family, right? And so we get that story, basically the events leading up to her murder, which are all told in flashback from the point of view of the interrogated person. Yeah. And then we also get these bits of Mormon history, which come basically when Pyrie is talking to Alan, because Alan has basically sort of like more or less separated himself from the Mormon church and is he basically goes through these important Mormon historical events and he's like, you know, we were taught one thing about them, but in reading more, here's what I actually think happened, basically. You know, here's the actual meaning to these things that happened and it includes the 
Joseph Smith's decision to allow polygamy. It includes Joseph Smith's death. It includes, at one point, um, the Mountain Meadows Massacre, things like that. Um, and it tries to juggle all these storylines as best it can. And it sounds like you were not, you were kind of, at some point, that just stopped working for you. Uh, yes. And I, I, I think the reason why to start out with is just it's confusing, right? Is yeah. The the um, like the cross the cross cutting I don't care about I think it's done for poorly from an editing standpoint throughout the show more or less but the real problem is like uh, how like time is moving in this show is like you really have you almost have like five different timelines is like you have the story of LDS history that one's the easiest to comprehend right because it's like okay that's a hundred years from now mm-hmm. or ago. Um, then you have like the story of Brenda coming up in the family. That's a different timeline. Then you have the timeline that is apparently just four days ago, which is something they really only mention in the last episode. And they go, they say, oh yeah, oh yeah, this is this was four days ago. This was four days ago. They say it like five times in the last <laughs> episode, having basically never said it in any prior episode about like uh, Brenda and Diana's, you know, kind of end or final moments and then you have the the live narrative which is pyrie and whatnot but you know you just you just have all of this 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 time jumping without a lot of context because it feels like everything's happening in a matter of nights and i guess it is but you're very confused because then you're like wait was brenda killed and did diana flee like only three days ago like what happened um that that bothers me (laughs) But from a framing standpoint, uh, I think this show, um, it, it doesn't use the freedom of like the episodic miniseries uh, uh, format to its benefit at all, right? I, I feel like it would have been, it's, it's a short story that they try to tell in way too long of a time, and it would have been better if each episode, you know, you can still tell that story, and then in each story, you tell about a pivotal moment in LDS history. That seems so obvious to me, I cannot tell why they weren't really going for that. And I think they try to do that, but the cross-cutting is often so confusing or distracting, it just loses it. You know what I mean? Yeah, what they try to do with the LDS history is they try to draw parallels between the events that are happening within the Lafferty family in the investigation with moments of history, right? Yeah. Like when the police raid one of the Lafferty's cabins, it's sort of compared to a federal, like a federal troop rate of, of like, I think Joseph Smith's house or something. Right. Um, and when they find out that, um, the Lafferty father died, it is like, tried to make, tried to, they try to make a parallel with Joseph Smith's death. Yeah. And I think it would have, there's a way you can make that work. I just think that, um, there were ultimately like it, it was in some like sometimes it was too obvious and sometimes it just like was not obvious enough why it was why yeah. they were doing that um and i think a big problem is that i feel like this show cannot always well, i shouldn't say that i so I, it's interesting i think that i think and i would i bet you agree but i don't know for sure um like the most interesting character is Pyrie. Like, do you Who think that's the case? Completely made up. 
Yes, exactly. And he's Both totally of the fictional. detectives are completely fictional. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, so the book is not based on, like, I mean, I'm sure John Krakauer, I have not read the book. I do have the book and intend to read it when I'm on vacation, because what goes best with a Hawaii vacation than a book about murder in Utah? But He's a good Boulderite, Krakauer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's, like, primarily based off interviews with Dan Lafferty. Like, it's not mm. really based off, like, the interview with, like, this, like, detective character who, of course, doesn't exist. And right. I think the show says maybe, like, it, it, he's the most interesting character because he's, like, the roundest character, right? He starts yeah. off as this very devout. He's not, he's not, he's not an extremist. He's just a devout Mormon. He says all of his prayers. He does all of his sacraments. He, you <laughs> he know, says heck and fudge. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't curse till the very last episode. Um, <laughs> he, he doesn't even... Um, drink caffeine, um, and then he slowly starts to lose his faith as he finds out what happens. So I, I, I now feel like I'm getting too nonlinear, so I should probably, like, reel, reel, reel us back and kind of, like, get down to, like, what is happening with the story um, is that essentially what happens, Brenda marries into this family. Um, the father in the family, this guy named Ammon, is very domineering. Um, he... Uh, basically sets the rules for everyone who lives in the family. He runs a chiropractic business and is sort of like uh, helps with, he's kind of like a local power broker, right? Like he helps, he has kind of, I would say like a libertarian streak, would you say? Like yeah. one of the earliest things we see him do is rally his family to help this guy whose land is going to be seized by the Bureau of Land Management, like basically make his land arable so that um, they they don't do that. Um, But then he and his wife go on a mission to Louisiana, the hinterlands, they call it. And the big debate is like, oh, who, which of the sons is going to be made like the head of the family? And they pass over Ron, who is kind of portrays a black sheep because he's not involved with the chiropractic business. He has his own like construction company. Um, and he's supposed to be a little more liberal. He lives in yeah. like the city, and mm-hmm. and he's the oldest brother, right? He is, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's married. Well, another character is also married to a person who's not born to the church. Um, but instead, they go to Wyatt. Uh, it be Dan, played by Wyatt Russell, who I actually think was very good in this role. Um, <laughs> yes. Why his father, knowing Dan, would ever choose Dan to lead anything is beyond me. But yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and what happens is Dan slowly becomes involved in these sort of various, at first just kind of like, uh, you know, like libertarian, quote-unquote, constitutionalist organizations that he basically decides that he doesn't want to pay taxes anymore. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and Which leads to the IRS, of course, raiding his business at home. <laughs> and that leads to his father then making kind of... I don't know. But yeah, basically making Dan the head of the that the family. Um, yeah. And but then what happens is these brothers then get in, they they move from sort of like militia style libertarianism to fundamentalist Mormonism. Now, what's the difference between those two things? Regular Mormons and fundamentalists is that fundamentalists are the ones who think that the sort of uh, modernist not modern. The, the, the modern changes to the church, i.e., outlaw and polygamy and allowing non-white people into it, are bad. 
So these are polygamists. Um, and they basically try to, they, they adopt, they try to um, introduce this more radical form of romance to their families, which is problematic because A, their wives don't want them marrying other people. B, uh, the people they want to marry are, in some cases, their own stepchildren. Yeah. Um, and it just gets them involved with, like, more and more nasty things. And Brenda is the real driver against them, right? Um, she uh, She's, like, very progressive for this community. She wants her own job. Her father wants her to have her own job. Like, there's a scene where he literally says, in my family, we teach girls to build things. Yeah. Um, and he himself is a bishop in the church. And basically what happens is, is that Brenda more or less persuades Diana to leave Ron, which sends Ron spiraling. And then he, that, that causes him and Dan to pursue blood atonement, i.e. murder. Um, and they end up killing, uh, Erica and Brenda. Brenda. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's what happened. And like, that is, I think an interesting story in its own way. But I also just kind of found myself being less interested in it the more and more they... I, I kind of, like, as the show went on, I kind of got less and less interested in that portion of the story, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't mind the framing device of the, you know, fictional detectives, mm-hmm. like, setting the story. I think that's fine. Like, I think that's useful. Um, it becomes confusing because... the. And I guess that's sort of unavoidable if you use that framing device. But, you know, all of this is revealed through interviews. It's not really so much a flashback as it is someone else telling something to the detectives and being, and then it turns into a flashback. And I I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. And then, <laughs> like, I, I guess that's fine. I, I, I agree with you that I think the story becomes just more and more muddled historically. And I think that's sort of the point is mm-hmm. that these brothers were all over the place and, you know, they each have their ups and downs and they kind of end up going in different directions and responding in different ways. I, I guess the part I liked the most about it are the, I mean, it, it tries to very intentionally like, make a parallel between Pyrie and his family and how he's now questioning the church and how he feels about his daughters. And like, does he want his daughters to grow up in an environment that could turn into something like this in his worst imagination? Uh, Which, you know, I think is always a stretch. Pyrie's family seems perfectly normal and fine, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but you know, you, you can't blame him for, you can't blame this fictional character for worrying, goddammit. Right. Um, <laughs> so, like, I don't, I guess that is fine. The framing device is fine. I think you're right. Pyrie is the most interesting character. Uh, he's definitely not my favorite character or the best acted character, but he's, he's, you know, he's good. He's fine. Yeah, I, I know. I guess, I feel like it's just a thing where it's like we. Like, when he's interviewing the brothers, it's like they've already kind of made their descent into extremism, right? Yeah. And we see them make that descent, and at some point they just kind of, like, reach, like, maximum velocity, and they just kind of keep going and going and going. And, like, you want to see what they do next, 
but they don't become quite as compelling as characters. You're like, oh, they're just very far gone now. Um, and you know, it's what Dan has like, is it, no, Ron has kind of like a weird, kind of implied, almost like Oedipal relationship with his mother. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that in this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and like, uh, Dan is just clearly like, they just show him as being just very selfish and like, he has these revelations, quote unquote, clearly just to justify his own um, greed and <laughs> lust. <laughs> I I I thought that episode was so funny when they're also talking about like Joseph Smith's revelations. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, no, honey, guess what? God wants me to have like another wife, but yeah. you guys can't be with anyone else. Yeah, God said that's cool and what we should do. And yeah. she's like, and Emma, his original wife, is like. No, what? <laughs> That's crazy. I just like the uh, the balls on that guy to try and like pitch that and be like, no, 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 no. I found this in the woods and he said it. Yeah, exactly. very funny to me. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty bold, <laughs> but I I guess you just could get a, a, away with a lot more in like the mid 1800s. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and like again, that's like an effective use of that parallelism, but like. So there, there's that. That's kind of my issue with the the brothers, and then with Brenda, she she's portrayed as basically like a perfect character, right? Um, yeah. She's like very smart. She's very driven. Um, I actually think one of the best things is when she goes to like the family get together, and like all of the men are clearly like like you know trying to like hit on her basically like in front of their own wives. It's like a very uncomfortable scene, but I feel like it's really well done. It gave me very midsummer vibes, actually. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I think the exact same thing. Very midsummery. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, she's also just kind of portrayed as this, like perfect character, right? So, which is interesting because I was reading about the things that they changed for this, and we talked about the detectives are made up. But two two of the things I read about were first of all the the father figure, the dad of mm-hmm. all the Lafferty children. Uh, was it actually apparently Brenda and he like got along very well and she was like really really sad after he died and he was not this like stern super tense figure yeah I mean, he, like I'm sure he was stern in many ways but not they they literally portray him as murdering a dog to like teach his sons a lesson right right um, and the other thing is apparently Brenda is far more liberal than she's portrayed in the show uh, I was reading some interview with like her sister or something. Um, and she was like, yeah, and, like, our mom cursed, and Brenda would curse, and Brenda, like, was much more, like, she <laughs> she was never wearing frills. She would wear, like, much less traditional clothing, and she was just much more modern. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that would have been more interesting, right, is, is if she really, you know, portray her as, like, the modern Mormon, and that's where the tension comes from. But making her perfect... Uh, is almost a disservice to uh, an actual dead person who wasn't, you know, no one is perfect. And I, I you know, I get why you want to uh, angelify the dead, but she didn't do anything wrong. Even if she wasn't a perfect, you know, fundamentalist or, you know, strict practicing Mormon, she was like a good person. And, you know, that's the more interesting story to me. Yeah, which, I mean, I, I think we get, right? Like the whole thing yeah. is... The reason why they find out, um, the reason why they end up with Jacob, who is kind of like, he has some, it's implied that like he got sick when he was a kid, mm. and that kind of like 
did some like neurological damage mm-hmm. um and he like even though he's kind of with all of his brothers he like she's like very nice to him and he's like oh she's my angel like when he yeah, finds out that yeah. she's, she's dead he goes to the police and cooperates with the police this whole thing right. um but it just kind of made her like a I don't know. I feel bad saying a little too perfect about this real dead person, but right, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And so that, that I guess I guess that this is all my very long way of saying like I appreciated the having Pyre too again. Like he, I feel like he's the only one, and I feel only one, but he's the one who I think has like the most well drawn journey, like this journey yes. from devout to questioning. Um, He's certainly our main character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I just also think that that then ends up kind of... It feels like they invested a lot in his arc without really trying to come up with ways to make the more... Like, just, just other parts of the story more interesting, I guess. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, all right. So, we talked a lot about that. Um, so, yeah... And this next segment I have lined up with, like, the themes. Um, so we talked a lot about already, like, how this show is about kind of um, debunking, I guess, kind of the sort of Mormon self-mythology. Um, but there's also, I feel like, a lot of moments where it tries to be about a lot more. I think you can kind of take this questioning about um, Mormon history and kind of especially if you think about, like, conversations you were having in 2020, you can kind of expand it to American history as a whole, I would say. Like, I don't think it's a mistake that one, that um, Taba is a, a, you know, an American Indian. And yeah. He's, oh, absolutely. He's kind of meant to be the uh, the doubter throughout the whole thing. And right. there's also just a big sort of, um, I, I guess you would call it, feministic uh, sort of through line, where this is very much just about... Um, the subjugation of women, again, not just within the church, but also um, kind of nationwide, I would say. Um, and I feel like there are times where it does that more subtly, more explicitly. How did you feel about the way it handled it? Uh, eh. <laughs> I, I feel like, look, as I noted before, I, I think the show, it really tries for historical like assessment and analysis in comparison but it just does it. I just wish it did it better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't care. Like, you know, I, I've seen a dozen headlines, none of which I've read because I think it's not an interesting story and really not a story at all. And it's like, what does the church think about the Under the Banner of Heaven TV show on Hulu? It's like, my guess is they don't care. <laughs> there are just so many interesting moments in Mormon history and you can portray them. Like, honestly, like you said, in American history, you can portray any group in American history as at one time an antagonist and at one time, you know, just defending themselves and defending their liberty. I think that's fine. There are interesting ways to do that. Uh, And the Mormons are an interesting, you know, plot device to tell a story like that. I, I just wish they did it better. Yeah, like I, way better. <laughs> my guess is the church doesn't love this show, but it's like the Catholics didn't like Spotlight or the Da Vinci Code right. either. Like, this right? Not like a new thing necessarily. Do, do I think fundamentalist Mormons are going to go out and kill <laughs> David McKenzie? Who, by the way, I just go go to a picture of him. He's got that whole fundamentalist Mormon beard going on, so I don't know. 
No, I, I don't think so. I I imagine, you know, I hesitate to call any established church chill, <laughs> but I imagine, you know, it's 2022. I can't imagine the church is going to, like, storm to the Supreme Court and Congress and demand <laughs> federal legislation to ban the show just because I think Mormons mostly want to be left alone. Yes, and that, that's also a theme throughout the show. They just want to be left alone. <laughs> yes, some, which is a very American instinct. I get is. it. <laughs> um, some some want to be left alone more than others. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, but that, I mean, it's interesting then to have you know then obviously like a police like the Mormon police officer just like an interesting. You yeah. know, it's this group that was openly antagonistic to the, Ameri- the United States government early in its history, and then to have them integrated into society and running their own police departments and having you know basically. Being fully integrated U.S. society, I think that's also an interesting um, theme. Yeah, I wish it were real, but yes, <laughs> it is. It is a smart decision. Yeah, to, to yeah. use half the show to do that, but yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought you know again. I, I think it is. I guess where I just come down on it is what really kind of like inspired this question was the last episode, which. This is a seven-episode series, and so you... 80% of it is in the last episode. Yeah, you're, you're already six <laughs> hours in, and then the last episode is 90 minutes long. And I was like, oh my god, like, how much longer do we need to tell this story? Um, but there are two scenes that I thought were just very kind of ham-fisted. Um, the first was... So, like, the the history of the church, has is it's being told by Mormons throughout it. And hmm. then when... Tava and Pyrie are looking for the murder weapon. They're like off the side of the road um, somewhere in Utah. And they're trying to... It, there are like campy moments in this show where like they yeah. basically all but say to Pyrie, like, use your special Mormon powers to figure out where everybody <laughs> is. Yes, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, uh, but but and so he's trying to do that and like the... The Mountain Mouse Massacre comes out, and he's like, you know, your people, because Katsawa is a Paiute Indian who were considered, like, allies of the Mormons back in the day. Like, they helped in the, you know, the massacre, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Tava's like, oh, really? That's not what, that's not how it was taught to us. And then he kind of goes on this whole spiel about how actually the Mormons tricked the Paiute into attacking this, like, innocent wagon train that was just going through Utah. And, like, yeah, I, I understand the importance of including that story, it was just delivered in such like a way of like, oh yeah, well now I'm gonna tell you something, and like while they're also like at like a crime scene basically, it just yeah. felt like very clumsily kind of like thrown in there. And yeah. then there's also a scene, like it seems like not an well, there are like thrillery moments earlier in the series, but then in the last episode they're like, oh, we have to like stuff more action into this, so. There are concurrent, like, moments of the detectives, like, actively tracking down Dan and Ron, who they find in Arena, in the, the Circus Circus in Reno. Um, mm. And yeah. uh, and that, which also includes Diana going back to Utah to rescue Matilda, one of the other wives, um, and their escape from Utah. But then they stop at a gas station and... While they're there, uh, the the Culkin one shows up, <laughs> Sam, yeah. and like tries to take her back, and 
Diana like yells at him, and she's feeling the people there are like help us, help us, and it's all these men who look by and do nothing. Uh, then she tells him to bear his testimony, which I I don't understand what that actually means, um, and basically just like calls him out like ah you're just you're just doing this, you're just like oppressing women because it makes you feel better, blah blah blah, and then he's just like so intimidated that he lets Matilda go. And then she turns around and yells, shame on you to all the men there. And there's, like, one little girl watching her do this. And, like, very well-meaning message, but also I just, again, I think handled in, like, a very uh, showy way, I guess. Yes, there there are some very um, shoved-in corny moments yeah. throughout this show. But I, I think the last episode has the most egregious <laughs> couple of ones. Mm-hmm. Um. To, to to bear testimony, my understanding within the faith is you speak before the congregation like the truth, and you have to tell the truth, otherwise you get in big trouble. And the Pyrie talks about this too, right? Is his wife, his fictional wife, wants him to bear testimony about, you know, his faith in front of the congregation, so his daughters know he's not questioning. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I. Bill is definitely my favorite character in this show. The 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 other detective, mm-hmm. the Ute, um, and you know I don't mind the. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind the. You have to tell the story about the Mountain Meadows, Meadows massacre if right. you're doing this show, right? And I, you know, there is an interesting. God, and I just wish the show was better at this, and it really tries. It, <laughs> To like, you know, the Mormons are, like I said before, it's like, they are also victims, right? Mm-hmm. There was definitely persecution against them. They also did some bad things. You know, the Native Americans, you could absolutely say the same about. I think there was far more uh, persecution against the Native Americans than the Native Americans were doing bad things. But yes, the Native Americans did kill, like, innocent people, too, throughout American history. Um, you know usually in in defense but it happens and this whole like you know the enemy of my enemy of my friend thing that they have going on in the mountain meadows massacre but it turns out that Brigham Young may have lied and uh you know this is history that was not caught on video and it's all very fuzzy but you know that that's an interesting story i just <laughs> I wish Bill wasn't so like chalant about it. I don't know how to describe it. You know what I mean? He just he just feels like he's giving a lecture, right? Right, right. Um, and he's like, "Oh well, that's not how I heard it." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he wanders off screen, like through the doorway, and then they end up talking about it like an hour later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so let's. Uh, we've been talking for a while, so let's take a quick commercial break. Enjoying this podcast and wondering where you can find more intelligent and insightful content just like it? Just head over to thepostcard.com where you can find the latest opinion and analysis on politics, music, film, television, and a litany of other topics. In addition to our articles and podcasts, you can also check out our visual features like our Floor Fight Bracket, our 2024 Republican nomination draft, and in presidential election and midterm election years, a map with all of our analysis. And if you like what you read, you can subscribe to our newsletter and, if you're feeling generous, donate to the site so we can keep churning out the content you know and love. 
If you love the site so much that you want to write for it, drop us a line at contact at thepostwriter.com. We're always looking for new contributors and willing to read any pitch you may have. That's the great thing about The Postwriter. It's not just about us. It's also about you. So head over to thepostwriter.com and see if there's anything that piques your interest. We bet there is. Okay. And we're back uh, to talk more under the banner of heaven. So we danced around this a little bit, but uh, the cast is, I would say, interesting for this show, if only because I feel like it's a combination of some rising stars and then at least one pretty established star and one, I think, star of... I think you would call him a star of the past so much as a guy people thought would be a star. <laughs> um, so you have Andrew Garfield, who is like coming off an Oscar nomination. He's coming off... Uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, which is, you know, one of the biggest movies of all time. Um, how, how did, and, then, and then he just kind of, like, ends up in this, like, obviously, I think, a pretty high-budget TV drama, but, like, a TV miniseries nonetheless. What would you think of Andrew Garfield, uh, the uh, British Andrew Garfield, playing this most American of roles? Um... I I have always kind of struggled with Andrew Garfield, if we're being honest. I remember after Spider-Man No Way Home, I think you and I were just, like, talking. And, and you were like, you know, he may have been the worst Spider-Man, but he's very clearly the best actor of the three of them. Mm-hmm. He just, like, holds the screen presence much better, which I think is very true in that movie. Um, you know, Tobey Maguire will always be the true Spider-Man, but, what, but whatever. Um I, I, you know, I, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Garfield is a good actor. I think he struggles to play what is a hard role. Uh, I think he struggles to play what is a made-up role. Um, it's just, I, 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 you know, not all Mormons, you know, contrary to stereotype, not all Mormons look the same. And, you know, there are lots of different kinds of Mormons out there. Uh, I'm not sure I believe... I'm not sure he plays a Mormon detective very well. I just, I kind of struggled with it. Yeah, he feels kind of like too baby-faced in a way, even though he is 38 years old. Yeah, Um, he does. He looks like he's like 20. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he just seems kind of, and I know it's a community that tends to like marry and reproduce young, but um, yeah, yeah, I've liked him in in stuff, Um, even in like movies that I didn't like, like Under the Silver Lake is a movie I do not like, but I think he's pretty good in it. Um. Yeah. I, again, I I thought he was fine. Kind of an odd choice. It it's it, so if you go on Letterbox, like the image for this movie is him just like holding his head. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just yes. like I feel like it's just kind of what he does for large stretches yeah. of the movies. Like he has to. It's it is a tough role because he has to convey like his growing horror at what he's seeing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's hard to do well. Um without coming off as sort of, like, melodramatic and, like, weepy a little bit. Which he does definitely come up, come off as throughout this show. Yeah. There are many scenes in which he is very melodramatic and very just like, what? (laughs) And (laughs) this is a very random aside, but my favorite, I think it is my favorite scene in this show, is, I think it's the second to last episode, is he gets that, like, book that's... They disguise it as, like, a woodworking book. Yeah, they never, I mean, I guess it's supposed to be a book about Mormon history that, like, tells the truth. They never actually say what it is. Right. He get, he has it in his house for some reason. I assume it would be in evidence in real life. He picks it up, 
And instead of, you know, reading the book in his office, which would not be suspicious in front of his already suspecting wife, he goes and sits in his car in the garage with the light on, secretly penning through this book. And she, like, comes in there like, what are you doing? Like, that is the most suspicious thing to do. I don't know. I don't care if you're, like, doing – I don't care what you're doing. It's not a good look, dude. I don't know. I mean, I, I got, hold up your woodworking book in your office, and it looks like you're doing something perfectly fine. I mean, I think the point is is that he is so, like, the church is so in his head, and he's so afraid of his family, his own family's judgment, that he feels like yeah. he has to. Through, and it also like kind of demonstrates that like there's no escape in a sense, right? He's never going to be able sort of like this freedom of inquiry into the history of the church. Um, but it is also kind of a bizarre scene. Yeah. Um, and it's also, that's, it's the end of that episode, right? And his wife is like, I want you to bear your testimony from the congregation. And that's how it ends. And it's like, you don't know what that means. You're just kind of like, wait, what? Like what what she wanted to do? (laughs) Right, right, right. And I don't know, throughout the show, he really just keeps, yeah, he's he's so baby faced. And he just like, I feel like his reaction to everything is just like, Why? (laughs) <laughs> and he gives like these big like why and it's like so like i can't explain it but you know what i mean yeah yeah well and he also he they talk a lot of these characters just like talk so um cryptically well cryptically and then also they're throwing in just like a lot of like mormon jargon i guess right yeah. And it's like, I do wonder, like, do Mormons actually, like, I, I've met Mormons, I'm not saying I've never met any, but, like, do are there any Mormons who actually talk like this? I guess is kind of, like, my um, I, question. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't I don't know. And I think it's because they're all talking to each other. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like the, the whole, I, the only thing I, that stood out to me, but I would, I also would not know, is they always, like, go, right, brother? Yeah. And and like saint holder, mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know if that's how they talk to, to each other. I certainly was never called a brother by any like Mormon friend or well, colleague. Because I think I had. you're only brother if you're a Mormon. Right, exactly. Um, no, no one was ever. No one was ever like I guess my saint holder is coming home soon. I believe it's priest holder uh, or priest holder. Sorry, my or my saint. Um, yeah, you're, you're, pre- everyone is a saint. They're like fellow saints. Yes, um, they're latter day saints, if you will. Yeah, a um, uh, little, little auspicious to, to just be like, oh no, we're, we're, we're we 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 skip the canonization process. We're already saints. Um, <laughs> Spoken like a good Catholic, Mike. <laughs> it is. Um, so yeah, uh, any other thoughts on this cast? Any people who stood out to oh, you yeah. for, for for good ways or bad ways? Well, I'll start with good. So, so I think the three standout performances. I think Gil Birmingham as uh, detective, uh, the other detective, uh, Bill, Bill Tara. Um, I, I actually think Daisy Edgar Jones as Brenda is actually a really good performance yes, I, too. I, I could see her getting much bigger after this show. She does she's a good job. She's also a British person who did American Well. Mm, yes. She's all, she, she was. She, she was. In, she was in Normal People, which is a show I did not watch, but I know people liked it. Yeah. Um, she's good, and I think especially in the last episode, episode, you don't get a lot of her before that. But Denise Gow does a good job. She plays uh, Diana. Thank you. Um, like I, I liked her too. Th- those three really 
stood out. There was one performance that I thought was atrocious, but <laughs> anyone you liked? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked everyone you said. Um, yeah, I think Daisy Edgar Jones. First time I've ever seen her in anything. I think a very engaging screen presence. Um, yeah. Wyatt he, Russell, like you said, is good. Yeah, too. I like like he's just like very good at just playing like a like a shithead jock basically, <laughs> which is more or less what he's supposed to play in this show. Um, yes, there was. I'm I, I'm gonna have to remember this guy's name. Um, it's oh yeah, it's Nicholas Carella. He plays Bernard Brady, who is the um, guy they end up finding was a member of like uh, the the School of Prophets, which was just like this like group that the brothers founded to oh yeah re- reintroduce uh, fundamentalism. And he like again, it, this is another like kind of like campy moment. Like he just plays this like very squeaky clean dude with a secret like very well. Um, yes, and it's like, but it's just like, so like they show up at his home, and he's like, "Oh, hey there, fellas! Like we're uh we're busy with the kiddos, but like, could you come back later?" It's like, "No, we have to talk to you now." And right. He goes, and it's like, you know, he he gives one story about what happens, and then his wife goes to make everybody lemonade, and that's when they really like put the screws in. <laughs> right. Was, and he like he's worried about like his wife. He's like, "I hit the lottery with my wife. Like you can't do this to me." He's like, right. Let her find out I was involved in this, and it's just really like. You know, great sort of like uh, you know suburban veneer with, but like guy with like a secret type thing. Um, yeah. Well. And I would just like, um, I think Andrew Garfield's best moment, and we can talk about the moment. No, 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 we'll talk about that later. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. You ready for my bad performance? <laughs> I think I know who it is, but go ahead. Well, it starts with Sam and it ends with Worthington. <laughs> that dude cannot hide his accent to save no. his life, like at all. Um. I, I don't think he's a particularly good actor to begin with. You know, he's famous for uh, the legendary role of Jake Sully in Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, God, he... I, it, it just would slip out at the most inopportune times. And I do not understand how they were like, can you do it again? <laughs> like, we have infinite screen. Like, we can just take another take. Video doesn't, like, cost a lot. Let's just, like, try that one more time. Don't let your accent come out. And then, you know, you're done. Yeah, he well, is uh, <laughs> not... Yeah, his accent... He he has, like, that one moment that I is, like... Accent away is pretty good. Like, where he just kind of, like, loses it. Like, where he gets excommunicated. Yeah. And he goes, like, crazy and comes home. He's, like, very scary in that moment. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, his his accent just keeps cropping up. And it, it is, it's very distracting. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. Yeah, everyone else I think is is more or less fine. Andrew Garfield, I have like qualms about. You know, his accent doesn't really slip, but I just don't. I'm not sure. I think you could find someone else who could play this role a little bit better. Yes, I would agree. Not that it's particularly easy, but you know what I like. You know, um, I was almost thinking. Like, Jesse Plemons could almost play this role better. Yeah. He jumped to my... I just feel like he looks more the part. Like, yeah. he looks just a little older. I'm pretty sure he's actually younger than Andrew Garfield. But, you know, he just looks kind of like a Utah detective. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, if you've seen him in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, he mm. plays like a like a squeaky clean FBI agent um, very well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and it's funny because as I was watching this, there were some early scenes where I actually thought that um, the woman who played uh, Andrew Garfield's wife, whose name is... Uh, Re- Rebecca? Yeah, Rebecca, but the actress's name is Adelaide Clemens. I thought she looked like Kristen Dunst a little bit in some early scenes. Yeah, um, I get that. She's also Australian. A lot of Australians in this show. Americans are too expensive. I, I guess so. Um, why, why wasn't Aaron Eckhart, a very famous Mormon actor, in this movie? That's a good question. <laughs> why wasn't Amy Adams in it? She was, I believe, raised Mormon. Yeah, I'm not sure she is anymore, though. Yeah. I don't know. Well, or uh, Glenn Beck. He's Mormon. <laughs> True. Oh. Or one of the Osmonds, as I said earlier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the uh, that's the cast. Um, the one thing I was gonna say, but I don't have anywhere to put it else in this show, is like I did think Andrew Garfield was good at the end, even though the end the end thing's very weird. Um, yeah. Basically, what happens in the final episode is they're looking out over like uh, a, a a Utah vista or whatever, and Tav was like, what do you think about this? And Kyrie goes, well, it's like God's gift. And he's like, why Why do we always have to say this is God's gift? Why can't we just say it's like, it is, yeah. like, it's here and it's beautiful, basically. And it's more miraculous that this wasn't created by God. Right. I actually really liked that line. Um, and so the show ends with him coming back to his family. He comes back. They, like, pray together. Um, and it ends with him going on a walk with his, essentially, I, I would say Alzheimer's or dementia-stricken mother. <laughs> Pain in the ass, mom. <laughs> um, and they're just at like a lake, and they're looking out at the lake, and she's and his mother's like, "Oh, this is isn't so great, Heavenly Father, great, like blah." And he's like, well, "How about uh, how about the gift is just like you and I together, huh? Is that okay?" Yeah. And she's like, "Yeah, sure." Like I feel like he he played that ambiguity well. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, I think that was kind of a weird tonal note to end on because it just kind of like. Uh, it, it it definitely felt like all right we we got to wrap it up like it felt like yeah, it was kind of yeah. like you know there's a guy like kind of moving his like hand like come on cut it out cut it out cut it out um, I really thought because this came up I think in like episode four it's like she wants to die mm-hmm. um, and like the church he like goes to the church and is like my mom like wants to die like she's in a lot of pain she's not herself anymore da 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 and they're like nope can't do that can't do anything about it. Um, I, I like really for a second thought he was just going to like walk her into the river and walk the other way or like you know nature's got you I'm going to let you have your like you know there's a version of this where that's a nice way to end the show Yeah. <laughs> also a very weird and shocking way to end the show but I'm there for it yeah the other um, the other moment that uh, is another one that sounds like campy to me is when um, there's a scene where Brenda's father confronts Alan um, at her house. At her house. Right? Yeah. And he brings a box of chocolates and he puts on like pop radio and he's like, yeah, pop music's pretty good, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> and he's right. like, uh, I guess, but it's not like really. It's like, yeah, he's like, you want a chocolate? And Alan's <laughs> like, uh, I mean, does it has caffeine? And he's like, yeah, it has a little caffeine, but most Mormons I know eat chocolate. It just kind of like basically like shoves a piece of chocolate <laughs> in his mouth and lets like him chew it. It was just yeah. a, like, it it was, it, it was it was just funny. Like even it though is. it's like it's kind of I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or what, but 
it was uh, it, it, but they sold it well too yeah um anyway yeah so the last thing i kind of want to talk about is uh this whole true crime thing which true crime has been like big business i think for tv for movies for books for podcasts i think for like 10-ish years now maybe a little less i mean you think in the last decade we've had the jinx we've had a true detective is not true crime but it was kind of like true crimey we've had like making a murderer we've had some ted bundy stuff um, then you got like the parodies of true crime exactly. which is how you know it really made it american vandal Amer- yeah um, american chief among them but uh <laughs> this is you know um obviously another true crime thing and I saw some people on Twitter kind of complaining about, like, cable TV's reliance on true crime and how this movie, or not movie, this show was just kind of, it just felt like every other true crime thing that they had seen. Did you think, did this make you feel any sort of way about this kind of genre of show or miniseries? I almost struggle to call it true crime because half of this story is completely made up, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, including our protagonist, like we keep saying. Um, I, I think it probably does not help the genre of true crime. I think it oversaturates it. I think it should have been a movie. It's just a lot of time spent on not a lot of... on ultimately what didn't need to be so much content. Um, I don't know. How did you feel? Yeah, it it it, it felt like a. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good comparison. It it felt like the um, like the right side of the bell curve, if that makes sense, right? If mm. you had kind of like a rise in true crime, uh, relevance and sort of excitement and interest, and now it's kind of sloping downwards. Uh, or uh, yeah. really more of like a quality thing, right? Like I would argue the true crime boom peaked with the jinx. Um, but I think that it, like this is kind of just the, I won't say they're going through the motions, but this is sort of like the, it feels like something they have, they once overthought and underthought in some ways. Um, yeah. Like it, they, they certainly have the aesthetic Right. But part of it almost feels like a Hallmark movie at times. Yes. I can't... There are moments that you know are cheap. Yeah. Like, the last scene, I think, actually feels pretty cheap. Yes. I also think a lot of the, like, historical stuff feels like I'm watching the History Channel, and that is not a compliment. Like, this is, like... It looks like a cheap reenactment. Yeah. And it doesn't help that it's also, like, again, presented in the way where it's, like... You're not really supposed to know these characters as characters in the historical sections, right? Right. They're just right. like reenacting events so that like you don't just have a guy like explaining it to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, it it felt like it it feels like we're coming to the end maybe of the true crime thing. Um, yeah, I I think that's probably fair, and I'm sure you know like everything else that kind of peaks and peters out, there will be a. A resurgence, a revival. Yeah, I don't think true crime's going to go away, but it feels like... I, I guess the way I would put it is that, like, the jinx is something that I think everybody should watch, right? Yeah. Like, I will tell anybody, no matter what they like, to watch the jinx. Um, it changed history. This is a show... R.I.P. Robert Turns. This is a show where it's like, if you're into this kind of thing, I think it's worth your time, but... I would say, like, if 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 it's not if you watch it, if you watch like the trailer and you're like, yeah, I don't know, like you don't have to watch it. Oh yeah, 
Like it's it's non-essential, I guess, is what I would say. It's it's the perfect stealing the Mike Levito measure of 3.5 stars on Letterboxd. Anything above 3.5 stars, everyone should see. Anything from 3 to 3.5, I'd recommend it to you if I know you like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I guess is, it almost feels like true crime in a sense going back into its niche is, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like it's no longer, you can't really just coast off of that designation alone anymore. Yeah, and I but the, I think this thing tries to be more than true crime, which, I, you know, I'll applaud that, but, you know, we keep coming back to I just wish it did it better. It also tries to tell this interesting history and make a broader societal point, and it kind of fails to do so. Yeah, it, it's, amb- it's ambitious. It's certainly ambitious. Y- yes. I... So we mentioned kind of at the top, you you invoked True Detective, and I'll invoke it again here. I, I was reading, uh, I think it was a Collider review that sort of described this as like the True Detective season that we never got or like that we always wanted, and instead they did seasons two and three. Yeah. Um, in that it was, you know, it was a show about, you know, this evil force that you thought was like, this big bad thing out there, but it turns out it was like ingrained in the community and, you know, the featured character gets to see, you know, it all just like collapses around them. And there's this like, you know, moral, I'm quoting this moral ambiguity and like depravity in the world. That's just peeled back layer after layer until like the entire world is enveloped. And it's like a show about like this stark honesty of institutions and crime and being a true detective. And, I I I wish that was true. I wish True Detective would do a true crime season about this because it it you know it mixes religion, it mixes politics, it mixes family dynamics, and being a true detective all together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes, I I do know yeah. what you mean. But I think on that we're gonna we're gonna end this episode unless unless you have anything else you want to say. No, True uh, True Detective season one is really good. Yeah. <laughs> So season two, you you actually you actively should not watch. Actually, is what I. <laughs> um, and I can't comment on season three. I don't think anybody will watch season three. Anyway, um, season four is coming out soon. I I they, and by soon I mean in the next couple of years. I, I think say, I they really missed like a lot of opportunity on that show. Anyway, um, yeah. thanks so much for listening, everybody. Um, this has been the Pony Express. You can find us anywhere. Um, you can find podcasts. Uh, you should like and subscribe if you find us somewhere and where you can do that. You can also just visit us on thepostwriter.com and find all of our episodes there as well. My name is Mike Levito. You can find my writing on The Postwriter. You can hear me on uh, Politics Express and Floor Fight and Running Mates and Watch Mates and all these other great podcasts we have. You can also find my writing on The Writing, where I'll be writing about right-wing media. <laughs> And you can find me on Twitter at Mlevito and Letterboxd at Ameramike. Wow, you're so accomplished, Mike. I'm Lars Emerson. You can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. Uh, You can find all of our stuff at The Post Writer. You can find The Post Writer on Twitter at The Post Writer. Um, Check out the Democrats Ignore Mormon Voters at Their Peril article on The Post Writer. I really like that one. You may learn some things about the Mormons that you didn't. You didn't know. It's just, you know, they're interesting. And it'll take you less than seven and a half hours to do it.
<laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, well, this has been an episode of the Pony Express. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.